Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today, we're going to tell you about the disappearance of Jared Johnston. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe with some extra espresso in there, because I'm sleepy. And let's dive on in. Our story starts in July of 2007 when Steve and Lisa take their 18-year-old son, Jared Johnston, and their two other children, Brittany and Matthew, to Yazoo County, Mississippi. Brittany and Matthew were the biological children of Lisa and the stepchildren of Steve, who was the biological father of Jared. Brittany and Matthew were going to stay with their grandmother for summer break in Yazoo County, Mississippi, as that was where the family had lived previously, and they were going to just visit with some friends, spend some time with their grandma, kind of give their parents a little bit of a break. And Jared had told his parents that he was going to stay with a friend for summer break and spend the time with his girlfriend as she was living in Yazoo City. Jared had grown up splitting his time between his biological mom and his dad. He was described as an excellent student with an infectious laugh. He was also described as quick-witted and spontaneous, outgoing, and friendly. He was known to love music and loved to play the guitar, and his future plans were to become a musician and to actually make a career out of it. His dad recalls a time in kindergarten when he received a phone call from the teacher telling him that Jared was just sitting in class reading Hemingway on his own and how intelligent a kindergartner would have to be in order to be able to get through a book like that. And his dad said that that was just who Jared was. He was always reading books. He knew how to read before he even entered kindergarten, and he was just constantly excelling. He had over a 4.0 GPA, and he just was a really excellent student. Lisa and Steve got married in 2003, and that's when Brittany and Matthew were introduced into Jared's life. Freshman year of high school, Jared actually got in trouble for using drugs. He'd had a party one night at his house when Lisa and Steve were out. He ended up taking a bunch of pills, and they had to take him to the hospital to get him checked out due to the drug use. Do we know what kind of pills and drugs he was using? I don't. The only thing I could find was just pills at this time. I do know that Jared afterwards spent two years in and out of rehab. And by the time he was a junior in school, he decided that he was just going to be homeschooled for that year so that he would be able to focus on schooling and not partying with his friends as much. He thought that he would just be in a better environment where he wasn't being tempted by his peers all the time. The beginning of July is when they traveled down to Yazoo City, Mississippi. And by July 7th, Jared was being returned back to his grandma's house. So on July 7th, Brittany and Matthew were just hanging out outside at their grandma's house, relaxing, having fun, and they see this truck pull into the driveway. And out of the truck comes Jared with all of his belongings, and his friend's mom is dropping him off. And his step-grandmother comes out and asks the mom, like, what's going on? I thought he was supposed to be staying with you. What happened? And she's like, this was actually never clarified with me. Like, we said that he could stay a day or two with us, but we never told him that he could spend the entire summer with us. So she's just returning him to the grandma and says, like, he needs to stay with you or he needs to go back home because he can't stay here. Which 
I'm not sure if something had happened to make her bring him home, like if there was some sort of issue or confrontation or if she was just like, we can't put you up for this long. Jared's grandma, though, says that he can't stay with her. So they get into this big confrontation where she's just like, you need to call Steve and Lisa and you need to go home because you're not staying here for the summer, which the only reason that she had an issue with him staying there was because he had had a history of stealing her pain pills and taking them and she had just had hip surgery and so she had just gotten a brand new refill of pain medication and she didn't want him to be tempted by it and she didn't want to have to fight with him about him possibly stealing them again. I feel like that makes sense because we're talking about him not even going to school because of his issues and temptations with it. So he really shouldn't be in a house where it's around. I agree. I mean, I completely understand why she would make this decision. And she was going to let him stay there until Lisa and Steve could come and get him. But he was just like, no, I'm not interested. So at 3 p.m. on July 7th, Jared takes his belongings and decides to leave. And as he's walking away, his stepsister, Brittany, ran after him and said, just call Lisa, talk about a different arrangement, like my mom can figure it out. But Jared just says that he doesn't want to call her. And then the last thing he said to Brittany was, quote, don't worry about me, I'll take care of myself. Brittany watched him walk away with his stuff down the road, and that was unfortunately the last time anyone in his family would see him again. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Jared's step-grandmother calls Lisa and Steve and tells them that he had walked away and that she didn't know where he was going. She explains the argument that they had, and they were trying to decide if they should drive from Kentucky to Mississippi to go and check on him and try to find him just to see what was going on. But they decided that they were just going to let him cool off and have some space. It was pretty typical for Jared just to take off anytime they had an argument. He would take off for a day or a couple days anytime he got into a disagreement with Steve or Lisa. And so they were not super concerned at this time because it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Lisa and Steve also stated that Jared had had an argument with them just before he had left for Mississippi because they actually found him smoking pot in their basement and they confronted him about it and it ensued an argument. So Lisa thought that maybe he was holding a grudge to them and that was why he didn't want to call them when he couldn't stay with his friend and maybe why they hadn't heard from him even after a few days of him walking away. About three weeks after he went missing, there was still nothing. They hadn't heard from him. They hadn't seen him. And they were starting to get a little concerned at this point. After three weeks, they hadn't done like a missing person report or anything? No. So he was 18. So he was technically considered an adult, which I'll kind of go into later when they do try to file a missing persons report. 
they were just thinking that he was just upset. And like I said, it was pretty typical for him to go for a few days, but three weeks was just the longest it had ever been. So they assumed that he was just staying with his girlfriend, Casey Parker, as she lived in Yazoo City, Mississippi as well. Had they tried to contact her at all? No. I just feel like there's a big difference between him usually every now and then living for a couple of days to three weeks. That's a big gap. It is a big gap. I 100% agree. So at about three weeks is when they decide to actually start doing something. So they received a letter stating that his ACT scores and his grades were so good that he had received a full ride scholarship to any college in Kentucky. And so they were trying to reach out to him to let him know the good news, to share the information with him. So he doesn't have a cell phone for them to call, but they decide to call Casey as they're like, he has to be staying with Casey. That's where he goes when he gets upset, is he always goes to her. Casey is his girlfriend, correct? Yes. So they call Casey and ask if she's heard from him and like how he's doing. And she's surprised to hear that he's not home. And she didn't even know that he was in Yazoo City, Mississippi, that he had even been there for the summer. So had she not been talking to him at all? She didn't say that she hadn't been talking to him. She hadn't talked to him in a couple weeks, she said, but she hadn't seen him the entire time he was in Mississippi. The last time she had seen him was when he'd come to visit her in January of that year. I mean, was it usual for them to go weeks without speaking? No. So I don't know if she thought, I didn't see anything. There was a documentary that I watched where she was talking about everything and just how she hadn't heard from him. And she started to get worried at this point, but she hadn't been worried before then. From what everybody said, Casey and Jared had a really good relationship. And Jared was telling everyone that he was planning on marrying her someday. And he had told her the same thing. And she felt the same way. Like, everybody said that they were just majorly in love. They had been dating for about three years at this time and had met when Jared's family lived in Yazoo City back in 2004. Like I'd said, Jared went to see Casey in January of that year. And while he was visiting her, when he went to leave, he actually left his wallet there that contained his ID and his social security card. She had planned to give it back to him when she saw him next. However, he never even stopped to see her when he was back in town, which to me is really strange that you're going eight months without your id at all i feel like that's I mean, unless he just got a new one the parents said that he didn't have one i just i mean i feel like it's definitely possible that he could have got one though and not told them since they clearly aren't communicating the best anyway yeah there's apparently some issues going on steve starts to really get concerned and he's seen some similarities to a disappearance that had happened about 25 years earlier when his sister went missing and His sister was 18-year-old Susan Johnston, and she called her mom and said, hey, I'm going to go to a concert on the coast, and I'll be back on Monday. However, she never returned. And about three months later, there was an article in the paper with a sketch of a body that had been found in a water park in Mississippi. And some kids were swimming in the lake at this water park, and they kicked this bundle that was wrapped in burlap and discovered that it was a body. And the body had been weighed down, and they actually discovered that this person had been murdered. So they put a sketch in the newspaper to try to see if anybody was able to identify her. It seems like a terrible place to dump a body in a, like a lake that's attached to a water park that it makes you wonder if something happened 
there like you know while the park was open or something possibly i never could i didn't find what had happened to the sister exactly the only thing that i had found was that they knew who had murdered her and it was a couple that she had recently met through one of her other friends so i don't know if she got involved in something there that she shouldn't have or what happened exactly but they were actually able to solve her case and close it but Steve was just really concerned that something bad had happened to Jared and that maybe he had found a wrong crowd of people to hang out with. Maybe he had gotten involved in drugs again and had overdosed. There were all these different things and he just didn't really know what was going on, but he was starting to be really concerned. So at this point, about three weeks in, Steve reports Jared missing to the Yazoo County Sheriff's Office. However, they tell Steve that because he went missing in Yazoo County while staying with his grandmother, she needed to be the one to call the report in. So she does. Why can't a dad report his kid missing even if he wasn't staying with him at the time? That makes no sense to me. I have zero idea. That was my exact thought process because I was like, okay, what if he's at college there and goes missing? Then who has to be the one to call and report the missing person? Yeah, in that same like analogy, then let's say your college roommate would have to be the one who reports it instead of a parent, which is just ridiculous. If someone's missing, it doesn't matter who's reporting it. <laughs> or if you go on vacation, like that, and your parents are like, "Oh, they're missing." Then what do you? I don't. That makes zero sense to me. And this is two thousand seven, right? Yes. So his grandmother calls in the missing persons report and they basically just say, look, there's no signs of foul play. He's 18. He walked off on his own. We'll make a case, but we're not going to actively investigate it, which I feel like you hear that a lot in cases. I know. So I get it because he's 18 and technically it's his choice. But then again, I don't know. I just struggle with the situations where you know that something's wrong and somebody should be found and they're just like oh well it's their decision well i wonder too do you know how big this city was and like its crime rate and stuff from what it looked like which i did a little bit of research on this city like kind of looking at it it looks really small like rural yeah so i just wondered like does this happen often is that why you're not looking into it or taking it seriously or you know that kind of scenario where maybe if, if it you know in big cities if someone's missing it's hard to have enough resources to follow up on all of them. But if it wasn't that large of a city with a high crime rate, then I guess I don't understand. I don't really know exactly what the crime rate in 2007 was like in Yazoo City, but it wasn't super big. In 2010, about 11,000 people were living there. So I'm assuming a little bit less in 2007. So not a super big town. So it's by no means a big city. No, not at all. After they've called in the missing persons report, Lisa and Steve start calling everyone they know and emailing everyone, trying to see if anyone had talked to or seen him. However, everybody was saying no. They were all saying, I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. Nothing. So they decide to call the mom of the boy that Jared was supposed to be staying with in Mississippi. And she tells them that on the morning of Sunday, July 8th, so a little after he left his grandmother's house, she had seen him walking through downtown Yazoo City on Old 16 with his backpack and his guitar in his hand. But she didn't know where he was going and she didn't stop to ask. She just assumed that he was probably going back to her house to see his friend again and just stay there until his mom and dad came to pick him up. 
Was that all the stuff that he had for the summer was just a book bag and his guitar? Or did he have more bags? He had a duffel bag that he had walked away with from his grandma's house. And I don't know if she had seen the duffel bag as well. It just said the backpack and guitar case. I only wondered that because if she knew he had more stuff and he was just walking around with a book bag and a guitar, maybe you wouldn't think as much of it as if he had all his stuff and was still walking around town. Yeah, she just assumed that he was going to go back to their house and stay there until his stepmom and dad came to pick him up. And when she got back that night to her house, he wasn't there. And that was when she was like, oh, he must not have been coming in here. He must have made other arrangements until he can get a ride home. In December of 2007, so about five months later, in December of 2007, Lisa receives a phone call from her nephew, Jeffrey, stating that he just saw Jared outside of a mall in Jackson, Mississippi. He was positive it was Jared, and Lisa confirmed that she's like, you, you're sure this was 100% Jared? And Jeffrey's like, yes, 100% it was Jared. And Lisa's like, well, he's missing. And Jeffrey did not even know that he was missing at the time, which... I want to kind of talk about for a second that the cousin didn't know that he was missing because I think that's a little weird. It seems weird, but for me, it sounds like this family is just not very tight-knit and not very communicative. So I, I'm not surprised, I guess is all I have to say. Apparently, they were lacking in communication. I agree. I mean, for you or me, if our cousin were to be missing, we would know. Unless maybe like it was just, you know, you're closer to some parts of your family than the other. But it seems weird to me. Lisa was trying to get as much information out of Jeffrey as possible, and Jeffrey just said that he saw Jared with some people, and he looked back to say hi once he realized, oh, that's Jared, and Jared was already gone and was in a car and off on his way. Lisa and Steve report this to the sheriff and let him know that, look, we've spotted him. This is where we should start. I don't really know that the sheriff did much at this point in time, or if he was just kind of like, okay, we'll document this, but... More things are kind of coming out about Jared at this time, and the police learn that Jared had actually been diagnosed with bipolar disorder when he was in rehab, and he only had a three-month supply of the meds when he left for Mississippi, and we're at five months now in December, so he's out of his medication, and so they're now concerned that he might be doing drugs again, not taking his medication, and if the bipolar disorder was bad enough, he might not even be able to find his way home or even really know who he is. So then they checked, I assume, did they check the pharmacies to make sure he didn't get like a refill or because he was 18, I mean, he could have picked it up if he had more fills. I assume that they did, but also he may not have been able to get it filled because he was in a different state. There might have been... So I know with my medication, it's only good for three months and every three months my doctor has to call in the order again after I talk with them. So if he wasn't talking with his doctor, they may not have been calling in prescriptions and he may not have been able to fill it in another state. I don't know how that works with insurance purposes. Yeah, it likely just varies on the medication, the person, the doctor, the location. You know, there's a lot of factors that go to that. So at the end of 2007 and the beginning of 2008, there is a new sheriff and a new detective working on the case. And the new detective's name is Detective Mulder. 
And the fact that there's a new detective is going to come into play later. At the moment, it doesn't come into a ton of play. But at the beginning of February of 2008, Lisa and Steve are kind of taking things into their own hands because the sheriff and the detective aren't doing a ton because he is 18 and there are no signs of foul play. So Lisa and Steve start submitting Jared's case to every missing persons database out there, just trying to get the word out posting it on social media, trying to let people know, hey, my son's missing. If you see him, please let us know. We just want to know he's okay. Well, in February of 2008, Lisa and Steve receive a ransom note by email saying that these people picked up Jared in Yazoo City and they are holding him ransom and that if they want to see their son alive, then they will send $50,000 or they will be sent his body. And they were told the typical, don't involve anyone else or your son dies. This came after they had already been talking about Jared be missing on different sites and stuff, though, right? Yes. Because, I mean, what's the likelihood that someone actually abducted him and waited this long that was like, hey, now give us the money? Exactly. So Steve reports it to the FBI and they track the IP address and discovered that it's a hoax. There's somebody from another country that is just trying to get them to wire them $50,000 and they, they're like, this. there's no way. They do not have your son. People suck. They do. Like, who goes on a missing person site and then's like, oh, I'm going to send them a ransom note and try to get money out of this. I bet it happens way more than you would hope. <laughs> You hope it wouldn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen at all, but I know it does, and it sucks. In March of 2008, the family decides to go to Jackson to look at the mall that the cousin had seen him at, and his stepsister, Brittany, goes into a jewelry store. They're walking in and out of all the stores, talking to people, like, showing them photos. Have you seen him? And she asks the employee, hey, have you seen him? And she says, yes, I have. I saw him in December. He came in to buy an engagement ring, but his card was declined and he said he would be back with a new card, but he never returned. Um, Props to her memory. I know. That's she, insane. I there's I probably wouldn't remember, but I know that there are people who just like, you know, can hold on to that kind of stuff. I think it's also a little bit different for a jewelry store employee because she probably spent time with him, getting to know a little bit about him and maybe even about the person that he planned to propose to which in theory was Casey and maybe she was like tell me more about him and she spent time actually getting to know him and talk to him and then she would have remembered his card was declined maybe she even held the ring for him and like was waiting for him to come back I mean any of those little circumstances like that that are out of the ordinary could stick out to you they probably have significantly less customers as well oh yeah the family's like we're gonna report this to the police which I want to just say props to the family for keeping the police informed throughout all of this, even though the police just keep saying, we can't really do anything. I like that they're still keeping them informed. I imagine their hope is that if they keep giving them more information, maybe it'll nudge them to, you know, do their job. Yeah. The police call them all and try to track down the security footage to see if it really was Jared that was there. And because if they know that he's there, then they know that he's alive. And I think at this point, even maybe the police department's a little bit like maybe something is wrong because he hasn't reached out to the family and it's been eight months. But they discovered that all the security footage has been deleted and the story can't be corroborated and they have no idea if the man that was in that mall was actually Jared. Naturally, the footage is gone. Yeah. What's the point of security footage? You just delete it, right? In July of 2010, so three years after Jared has gone missing, there is a turn in the case. 
Detective Mulder receives a call from a woman named Kelly Height in Atlanta, stating that she and her brother had rescued a young man off the highway in Atlanta, Georgia, about two years earlier, and they had been caring for him. They picked him up on August 2nd, 2008, and when they discovered him slumped over on the highway, he was malnourished and dehydrated. So they brought him in, they fed him, they gave him clothing and water, and they were caring for him. And the name that the man gave them was Samuel Alexavis. But Kelly always had this feeling that he wasn't 100% accurate about his name and that his name was actually something else. Why did she mention why they didn't take him to the hospital? No, I didn't see an answer for that because that was my first thought. It was like, why didn't you take him to the hospital or to the police? Like, you just immediately brought this stranger into your home to feed them and clothe them. Like, good for you. That's a good Samaritan move. But also, what if he was a psycho killer? Or what if he was possibly injured in ways that you can't tell from just looking at him? Well, and that's the thing. She said that she thought that he was suffering from amnesia because he couldn't remember anything about where he was from, anything about his family. And the way that he gave his name, she said just the way that he said it didn't seem like it was his name or that he was confident about it. And to me, I'm just like, hmm, I don't know that I would bring him in. I I just, I think I would 100% have called 911 in this situation. Yeah. Kelly said that she just assumed that he was maybe having trouble remembering things because of the heat, as it had been a little over 100 degrees the day that she had found him. And depending on how long he'd been in the heat, she thought that maybe he was just suffering from the heat. But I think if he was suffering from the heat, that would be a good reason to take him to the hospital as well. Samuel told Kelly that he had been in a hit and run accident, and that was why he couldn't remember anything, which comes right back to why didn't he go to the hospital? On July 6, 2010, Kelly was sent a link to her on Facebook, and the link was Jared's missing person flyer. And Kelly saw it and was like, immediately, like, this is the boy. This this is Samuel. And she called the Yazoo County Sheriff's Department and said, hey, I was taking care of this boy, and he was having a hard time remembering his family in his life and she tells them she describes samuel to the detective and the details are very similar samuel even had the same capped tooth that jared had he had similar birthmarks through the descriptions that she was giving and so kelly sent the photos to the detective and the detective looks at him and's like this could easily be jared three years later so he forwards them to lisa and steve and Lisa looks at the photos and is like, I think this is Jared. So she shows them to Steve, who is the biological father. And he's like, I think that that's him. Like, it's been three years, but it looks so similar. It looks like maybe the nose is broken because it's a little bit different than what Jared had. But if he was in a hit and run accident, it would make sense. So Detective Mulder asked Kelly to tell him any details she could about Samuel, and she starts to describe Samuel. She talks about his infectious laugh, his love for guitar and music, and how he can play guitar. And so the family is super excited. And the more that Kelly talks about him and talks about the one of the memories that Samuel has of canning tomatoes with his family, the more that the family is like, this is Jared, because these are all of his memories, this is him, the photo looks so similar, and they're just excited, and they're like, we're gonna go get him. Why, or why do you think he would have given a fake name, though? If he didn't remember who he was. So he just came up with some random fake name? 
maybe he thought that that was actually his name. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. That one seems odd. I agree. Because I think, I just wonder if, like, if I forgot my name, I wouldn't just be like, Maria Chocolaka. I'd be like, uh, I don't remember it, so... I guess I don't know what I would do in a situation it's, where I, I don't remember my name. I think name. it's weird to come up with a, a whole new full name out of nowhere, other than to say, I'm not sure. Well, also, Jared, if he was on the run, maybe that's why he gave a fake name, so that they wouldn't be able to place him back with his family. Maybe he really didn't want to be found. So the family is like, all right, we're going to come get him. We're on our way, Kelly. And she's like, one issue. Samuel's gone. He was only with us for about eight weeks, and he's been missing ever since. Did she describe when he left and why? She said that they had a Labor Day cookout, and at the cookout, Samuel had become very agitated and threatening toward the other kids his age, and he wanted to leave. And he told them that he remembered having an aunt and a girlfriend in Mississippi, and he wanted to go there. So they're like, okay. But there was apparently a hurricane around that time, and it was causing some travel issues. So he couldn't go there at the time. But he was like, I also remember having family in New York City. So they buy him a bus ticket, and he gets on a bus and goes to New York City. And when they put him on the bus... Kelly said that they gave him an army coat that had multiple pockets on it. And in every single pocket, they put a piece of paper with their phone numbers, names, and addresses just in case he forgot them or couldn't find his family and needed to come home because they knew that his memory wasn't super great at this time. However, Kelly never received a phone call from him. He was supposed to call them and let them know like, hey, I made it to New York City, but she never heard from him. She reported him missing and called all the bus stations and they were still searching for him and it had been 22 months since she had last seen him. At this time, they didn't even know if Samuel was Jared. There were just all of these things where they're like, it's probably Jared. But I can't imagine what it's like to be this family who's like, hey, I think I have your son, but he's not here anymore. I just feel like it's all this false hope and feel like it just hurts and hurts the more that they go down these dead ends it seems like this case has had just a lot of ups and downs and i bet there's a lot of frustration not getting as much help as they would want from um, the police department as well yeah so steve calls the fbi again the same agent that had helped them when they received the ransom emails and they're like can you please help us identify samuel like can you help us track this man down so They track him down through the bus and they find Samuel and they find out that he has an arrest record and they're able to confirm that Samuel is, in fact, not Jared. They find out that Samuel is safe in Boston, Massachusetts, and he actually ends up returning home to stay with Kelly. And Kelly finds out that his real name is Nathaniel Wright. I never found out why he gave a fake name or what happened with all of that, but he was residing with Kelly and they were continuing to take care of him from what I could find, like the most recent information about him. But when he returned home, they showed him a photo of Jared and Nathaniel was like, that looks just like I did at that age. And for me, they say that everybody has a twin and I don't know how much I like believe that, I guess, but this is just such a weird situation. Like even having the same cap tooth and birthmarks, it's still just so weird. I agree, but I, you know... (laughs) I think about how many times 
you see like even just articles and BuzzFeed articles and stuff where they're like this person who just randomly was right by this person and they look exactly alike. I feel like it maybe happens more than we even know because there are just so many people. Yeah, I walked into a building one time and they looked at me like, what? And I was like, very confused and then they eventually came up to me and they're like okay we were confused because you look exactly like this girl and she is in a wheelchair and you came in walking and we were just like what is even happening when did you start walking and they said it took them a few minutes to even realize that it wasn't that girl so i don't know how often it happens but that was only like a 45 minute drive away from where i live that this other person looked just like me oh yeah i remember in high school one time my sister called me and she's like, you're in this newspaper at a football game. Why'd you go to this school for their football game? I'm like, yeah, that was not me. But I looked at it and I had to sit there and be like, was I there? And I don't remember it because she did. She looked just like me. It's crazy that those kind of things happen, especially with the like more direct similarities like the birthmarks and stuff as well. Exactly. And my heart was just, when I was researching this, it just kept going out to the family and we're not done. In March of 2012, so about five years after Jared went missing, there is new admin staff for the sheriff's department again. There's another detective assigned to this case named Tommy Irvine. Tommy goes in and gets a call from Steve and Lisa. I think they're just calling for like an update to see if they had heard anything. And Tommy's like, uh, what was your son's name? Jared Johnston. And he's like, um, and starts doing research. There's no record of there being a missing person case. Uh, Why? I don't know. No record of it at this police station at all. No file, no anything, no paperwork. And Tommy Irvine has to start over from scratch. Like, it makes you wonder if there could have been something from another police department where they're checking databases and missing persons to match a description and see or something like that. And it's... And the documentary that i was watching detective Mulder, which was the previous detective actually comes forward and says i didn't know that there was no file on this i had one but it must have been lost or misplaced and i can't help but wonder if there was a file and if there was like what happened to it how do you just don't you shouldn't you have a better system first off it's not like it was 1942 it was 2007 (laughs) is this not digital (laughs) Apparently not in 2007. I don't know. So Detective Irvine starts over and he starts investigating from scratch. And he actually finds out that there is this hospital in Atlanta, Georgia again. And there is a man in the hospital in a coma matching the description of Jared Johnston. So HIPAA made it very difficult while HIPAA is great in some circumstances, in this circumstance, it was just kind of a pain in the ass. So Detective Irvine is trying to get around HIPAA and trying to get any information about this boy that's in the coma to find out, is this the son of Steve and Lisa? And, and a little while later, in June of 2012, Detective Irvine actually receives confirmation that the boy in the coma is not Jared Johnston. And unfortunately, there's not been any leads since then. 2012 was the last time they thought that they may have found Jared. So, Abby, what what do you think? 
about where Jared could be. This is one of those ones where I it it really could be anything. I think it could be foul play, but it also could have been one of those situations where, you know, he has had a past drug problem and maybe he just ended up back into it, maybe on the streets or maybe in a bad situation. Does it ever say what the parents think? Are they thinking foul play or the dad is concerned about foul play mainly because of what had happened to his sister and some of the circumstances are similar but they are also concerned that he did fall back into the drug use and that maybe he did overdose or just got into the wrong crowd and ended up being murdered or something i do wonder that just because it was clearly his drug issue was recent enough that he couldn't be in a house where there were you know painkillers but this is another one, too, where, you know, for, like, the Bryce Laspisa one, I find it hard to believe that he would have just walked away from his life. But this one, it sounds like he tried to do it almost a couple times by not communicating with his family that much. So maybe this is or could be one of those cases where he was just kind of fed up and done and wanted to start something new. And maybe he it was from that kind of rejection of that day saying you can't stay here. You can't stay here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I could see that. The only thing that kind of sucks is if it was anything else, it took the sheriff's department almost five years to really even start investigating this case. And they could have missed out on so many things in those five years. And if something more sinister did happen to Jared, then he may never be found. Yeah, it's sad that the family's not may not get that closure, especially with the file being missing or lost i'm making air quotes i'm not happy about that one <laughs> there's a lot of things in this case i'm not happy about but that is definitely one i mean at the very least file it so it's in the database so if they come across a body or a person who maybe doesn't actually remember stuff they can compare and either rule out or like investigate that lead a little bit absolutely so for those of you that are a detective sort of any type and you want to keep an eye out for him i'm going to give you guys a little bit of description and i'll post a photo of him on our social media and in the documentary that i was watching i was able to find photos of samuel slash nathaniel so if i could find a photo of him that i can like share on social media i will oh, if yeah, I not i want to see the similarities there yeah if not try to look it up on your own and see if you can find it somewhere or watch the documentary that disappeared did. So Jared Johnson was last seen on July 7th, 2007 at the age of 18. He was carrying a black duffel bag with various articles of similar clothing, jeans, t-shirts. He had his guitar on him, which was a walnut colored Ibanez in a black cloth vinyl carrying case. He was wearing blue jeans, a black t-shirt, and a red ball cap. He was wearing a digital-type wristwatch with a black band that could be interchanged with other color bands. And he also has a large birthmark on his abdomen. Obviously, it has been almost 13 years now since Jared has been seen, so the clothing may not matter as much. But if you have seen him that day, if you have any memories, recall anything from July of 2007, then you guys can call the Yazoo County Sheriff's Office at 662-746-5991, case number MP07-09644. 
You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.